It's fitting on this weekend that we celebrate the life of Martin Luther King Jr., who fought for equality and civil rights, who believed that truly what is written in our documents of our country, that all men are created equal, and these are self-evident rights, that all life is valuable. And so we also celebrate this Sunday, the sanctity, uh, the, uh, Sunday, the sanctity of life. And oftentimes think that we're making a political statement. And yet, can I remind you that the sanctity of life is primarily not a political issue. It's a scriptural issue. That God himself, even as we've study, studied in, in last week, studying the uniqueness of the creation of all mankind, humans are valuable, created unique with a connection and relationship to God, and that that life starts at conception. This is a scriptural value, not a political statement. Children are indeed a blessing, and so we fight for all life. Uh, and I love the video as it explains that it's more than just what we typically think of on this Sunday as sanctity of life as somehow this war against abortion, but really the sanctity of all life. That when we show value to those who are in the elder stages of their life, they're just as valuable as the lives that we fight for in the unborn. And so we do believe that each life is a blessing. And we have that statement, children are a blessing. And as we continue in the story, as we dive into Genesis, we talk about the blessing. And Abraham, in Genesis, is a man of blessing. And you see, his story talks a lot about this. And so I begin to ask myself, what does it when, mean when we say a blessing? What, what is this context? I mean, think about it. We say things like, oh, bless their heart. If you've been in church long enough, you've heard somebody say, well, bless their heart. I know when I was a kid growing up, this was a phrase that I would hear, and I often wondered if there really was a true blessing attached to it. Well, you know, Judy, she hit my car this weekend. Bless her heart. <laughs> yeah, you're blessing her, I'm sure. But we, we throw out the blessing when someone sneezes. God bless you. Okay, <laughs> we, 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 I'm not sure that we really understand what it means when we use that word blessed or blessing. We, before we eat our food, we ask God to bless it. We say, Lord, bless this food to our bodies. What does that mean? Lord, please don't let it clog my arteries or go to my hips. Is that the blessing where you expect? I believe sometimes... As we walk through life, we want God's blessing. If you ask anybody on the street, hey, would you want God to bless you? You bet. What does that mean? Oftentimes, I think we want God's blessing, but we don't want to necessarily be obedient. We say things like, well, if God would just bless me. Now, maybe you've never verbalized it, but deep down, sometimes in this journey of faith, we say, well, if God would just bless me, then I would fill in the blank. Well, if God would just bless me with a great job, then I would do this. Or if God would bless me with finances, then I would start tithing and giving, because then I could. But what if I told you that God's blessing may not come before your obedience? 
In fact, when I look at the life of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and, and follow it through to the end, I'm pretty sure that that's exactly what it is. We oftentimes put the cart before the horse. We want the blessing before we're willing to be obedient. And Abraham shows us that a life of blessing must start there. When we look at the life of Abraham, we see the birth of a nation through Abraham. We see God's work of redemption by choosing a people who would reflect and represent himself to the world. And so God chooses one man. He chooses one family. He chooses one nation to relate to, to reveal himself to, who he sets aside for himself from the world to worship him alone. As we unveil the story of Abraham, who at this time is known as Abram, God is calling him out of a sin-centered world, calling him to a place that would be a God-centered culture. This man would demonstrate both faith and fear. This is the story of Abraham. And God would choose a family to demonstrate to other nations how he would relate to all of creation. And this nation, Israel, is just like your family and my family, dysfunctional and imperfect. And you can see that through the whole of the Old Testament and the New. But in it all, God shows his faithfulness and that he's true to his covenant. When we start the story in Genesis chapter 12, if you have your scripture, go ahead and put your finger in there. We're going to be throughout the book of Genesis this morning. You can also pull it up on the YouVersion app. By the way, there is free Wi-Fi. It's the only Wi-Fi that'll show up that's available to you this morning. I think it's C2 Guest. If you had some other sort of Wi-Fi uh, before this, you were stealing it, but we forgive you. And you don't need a password, so... Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Verse 4. So Abraham went. He left. He didn't know where he was going, and he's 75 years old. He simply obeyed. Would God really call you to leave all that you know and love? But this is exactly what he called Abram to do, was to leave all that was familiar, all of the things that he had come to know, his family, his land. But he makes him this promise, and he actually makes him four promises in the beginning of chapter 12 there. He says, you'll become a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and all nations will be blessed because of you. There's four promises in this blessing, and as we learn, I think, three things about securing God's blessing. We learn these from Abraham. Oftentimes, when we think about the blessing of God, sometimes we, we think that's something we have to chase down or we earn. But I think through three things that we, le- we learn in uh, the story of Abraham, that Abraham secures God's blessing, one, because it's already available, not because he had to chase it down and figure out where it was hidden. 
But rather, God makes it very plain to him, and there's three ways that we see it. First is the obedience of Abraham. Without knowing where he was going, he obeyed God. He went. He left. Have you ever wonder what God is calling you to? Have you ever had that moment in your life where you think, man, I feel like God's calling me to such and such, or I wonder what God's will is. Is this the will of God? And Abram finds himself in this place. God says, here is the blessing available to you. But realize that before Abram leaves, there is no blessing. It's not until the moment he obeys and he takes that first step and he leaves, he goes. It is then that he begins to walk into the blessings of God. And so it's through obedience that we find blessing. We receive the blessing of of God. And in this we see the covenant of God throughout the story of Abraham and, and throughout the whole of the rest of the Bible you'll hear this word about covenant. And really you could sum it up in saying that God chose. God chose you and me. He chose Abram, who he would later make into Abraham. He chose, and this is what we mean by covenant. It's why here at Christian Chapel when we do weddings, we have them we have the couple enter into covenant with each other and with God. It's not a contract as we would know in Hollywood. You know, this is my stuff and if we get divorced then I'm taking my stuff and some of your stuff and you're going on your own way. And yet the covenant, God says, I choose you. No ifs, ands, or buts. You can't earn it. You can't do anything to lose it. I choose you. And it's then up to us to choose back, to receive and walk in the blessing. God chose us. This is the greatest of all loves. It's unconditional. There's no condition set that if you do this, I'll love you. No, God simply says, I love you and I want to bless you and it's available to you. And if you want to be blessed, then then this is what you need to do. You need to follow. You need to do these things. And I think you could sum it up best through maybe three simple statements. God says, I want to bless. I will bless. You obey. I lead. You follow. I provide. You depend. And it's through his blessing and his leading and providing that we Step into the blessing when we obey, when we follow, when we depend on him. But how many of you, if you, if you think back over your life, have come into that moment when we say, I wonder what God's will is for my life. Is that God? Just like in that video. How do I know it's not just me? How do I know it's God? I found three things in my life that help me discern what God's will is. One, his spirit the Spirit of God leads God's people. You can see that throughout the Old Testament. You can see it into the New, that the Spirit of God leads God's people. And so oftentimes you'll hear people say, and I know in the Christian realm these words are often tossed about, but things like, I feel like God is asking or telling or calling me to. I feel. Can't really put a finger on it, but you just have this sense. Maybe we'd call it your gut. That God speaks through your gut, your conscience to do what's right and what's just. You just feel it. You just know it. Maybe you've heard people say, you know, I heard God tell me 
What does that mean? Did they actually with their own ears hear it? Or was there just this sense that the voice of God, that inaudible, that still small voice, was somehow speaking to something greater than their sense of hearing? Is it just me or is it in my head? Have you ever said that to yourself? I think God in his wondrous creation of the human body, he created the human mind that's able to interpret all sorts of things that stimulate our senses. And so we have five senses by which to interpret the world around us. And yet I think we often write off what I feel like is the sixth sense, this ability to interpret the voice of God. It's this sixth sense when developed and honed to a a greater extent, the sensitivity, we begin to respond to the voice of God. Have you developed that sixth sense? Are you learning to hear God's voice? I believe God gave you a brain because that's how you interpret everything. That's where all your senses kind of come to be interpreted. I'm not a a brain surgeon, but we have one in the room. Wink, wink. (laughs) I won't call him out. But God gave us a brain to interpret, and I think it's through your brain that God speaks, helps you to communicate. So when you say, well, I don't know if it's the voice of God or if it's just in my brain. It's in your brain because God gave that to you. So yes, it's in your brain. Where else would it be? Ever ask yourself that? Where else is God to communicate with you but your brain? So sometimes you just need to step out in faith. But I think it leads us to the second thing. His word, his word helps us interpret what his will is. Ask yourself in this feeling, this knowing that you have, does it conflict with scripture? Which means we need to know scripture or search scripture. We ask ourselves, is it right and is it just? So what's he saying to you? Does it violate the scripture? This means we have to hear the scripture, whether it's preached or read the scripture Study the scripture, have it interpreted. This is why Right Now Media is a great resource as a Bible study to help you interpret what God is saying. If we don't know his word, it's going to be difficult to know his will. But I think he gives us a third way to figure out his will, and that's his people. Oftentimes in my life, as I have this sense that God is calling me to something or a decision I have to make, and I'm studying his word to see if it's right and just and and does it line up with scripture, oftentimes I will go to trusted people in my life and say, hey, I feel like God's calling me to this, or I feel like I heard this from God. What do you think? And those who know me will say, you know, that seems to be, yeah. And oftentimes they can give me an immediate answer and reflect maybe what they think Maybe another scripture I hadn't thought of. Sometimes they'll say, you know what, let me pray about it and and let me pray with you. And they'll come back, I feel like God's saying this or I was reading this scripture. The gift that other people give you can be greater than what you can achieve on your own. They have experience and education that perhaps you don't have and can enlighten you as you try to determine what God's will is for you. God's voice can speak through other people. And confirm what you already are thinking. And so then you would simply need to ask yourself, is there a discernible pattern in all these things, in his, what his spirit is saying to you, what his word says to you, what his people are saying to you? And I believe when you look at Matthew 6, 33, it leads us to respond with patience but with 
uh, with understanding. When Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. Everything else will fall into its rightful place. That scripture right there should encourage you that when you're seeking the heart of God, it's really hard to make a wrong decision. When your heart is lined up with the word of God and you feel like you're being led by the spirit and you're, you're constantly saying, God, I wanna please you, it's really hard not to please him because you're seeking out his heart. And when you seek first his kingdom, it's hard to go wrong. In obedience, we first respond to Jesus in his voice when he says, come follow me, and we just go. Abram responds in obedience to God and begins to step into that first part of the promise, that first promise that God says, I will bless you. And he begins to walk in obedience. Quickly, as we conclude this morning, I want to just share two other things that I see in the life of Abraham as he steps past the first promise into the second promise. We see generosity. Generosity in the Christian realm is not something that we do on a whim or because I feel like it or because somehow it's optional or even because I feel obligated. But generosity really is a response to God who's been generous to us and Those of us who wave the banner of Christ, we understand that God has been generous with us. And that second part of the covenant with Abram, that promise is, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. Have you ever thought of yourself as the answer to someone else's prayers? That you, in fact, are a blessing, the blessing to someone else. We see this in Abram's life as shortly after they begin their journey, he's faced with a decision he brought his nephew Lot along, and now their, their families are fighting. And Abram goes to Lot. In conserving the relationship, he says, look, we're going to have to kind of part ways here, but I want you to choose the land. I want you to choose first. I want you to choose what you feel is best for yourself. How generous of Abram. I mean, even in our context, that's generous. Abram's older. He probably has more stuff. And he looks to the younger Lot, whom he has provided for all these years, and he says, you know what, you choose. I'm gonna let you choose first. And here we see a great demonstration of grace and generosity with Lot. He says, why don't you choose? And of course, we read the story, we know that Lot looks around and says, that looks like the best land, I'll take that, sayonara. And if, if I was Abram, I'd be like, you know what, you know what my rights are, right? Good red-blooded American. I know my rights. I know, I know what's, what's best for me. And so I would say, well, why don't I choose first and then I'll let you choose. But here we see even the New Testament uh, taking place in the Old Testament. As Jesus would say, treat others as you want to be treated. Bless those who want to curse you. The last shall be first. And here we see the generosity and grace of Abram. And if you read further into chapter 14, and again, there's so much for you to digest in these chapters from 12 to 22. I encourage you to read that throughout this week. But in 14, we see this character appear, Melchizedek. You might recognize his name from the series we did back, back a few months ago about Hebrews. And he is called a great high priest. Well, that's odd because the priesthood hasn't actually been invented yet. Moses hasn't come on the scene And yet here we see this foreshadowing of a Christ figure. Some believe this is a pre-incarnate form of Jesus. And this was a priest before there were priests. And if you read in chapter 14, uh, in verse 18, it says that Melchizedek comes to Abram with 
wine and bread, a picture of the Eucharist, of communion, of relationship with God. There's this picture of Christ. And what is Abraham's response? He gives the tithe to Melchizedek. There's no obligation. But there's this sense that he's going to bless the Lord. And so he gives the tithe. And Melchizedek speaks a blessing again over Abram. Now, compare this to what happens in the next verse. The king of Sodom comes and says, I'm going to bless you too. If you give me back the people that I had rightfully stolen from you, I'll bless you too. I'll give you some riches. And isn't that like our culture? who promises you quick gain, but what, at what cost? At what cost are you giving up the spiritual things in your world, the, the things that you need to do, in order that you might have some sort of quick gain in this world? You know what Abram's response is? You know what? I don't want your stuff. If I'm gonna be rich, it's because God makes me rich. It's not because you have provided for me. And I know in our, in our culture, we look at jobs and, and the, the physical assets, the, the material things that we have as some sort of sign of God's blessing, but let me assure you that is not a sign of God's blessing necessarily. Abram says, if, if I'm going to be rich, it's because God is going to make me rich, and I only want to be able to say to people, God alone has made me rich. And this is where we're seeking first the kingdom of God in our relationships and in our life choices and in our finances. Yeah, there's a risk of financial ruin if you begin to trust God, I, I suppose. But really, is our worried about financial ruin or just that we won't have what we want? We won't have our stuff. The last thing I see in the story of Abraham is a man of faith. This is what he's, he's known for. If you turn in, uh, to Hebrews chapter 11, you can see that he's extolled for being a man of faith. He has faith in God, and he's extolled because he believed for things he didn't see. Compare that to how I live. I want to see, and then I'll believe, right? How many of you are with me? Don't raise your hand. But isn't that how we operate? And here is Abraham being, being extolled for his faith. But if you read the story closer, let's take a look, because it's easy to look at these characters of faith in the Bible and say, I could never be like that. Oh, they're so great in these stories. Read Genesis chapter 12 because just a few verses after God says, hey, I'm gonna bless you, follow me, and Abraham goes out, guess what he does? He fears. He comes to Egypt. He says, my wife is hot and these people are gonna wanna take her and they're gonna kill me. So what does he do? Now, she ain't my wife, she's my sister, which is partly true. She was his half-sister. Don't even get me started. He saves his own skin. He reacts in fear, not faith. This isn't a man that we should be extolling, is it? But do you start to see yourself in these stories? Abraham betrays his wife, and to her credit, she goes along with it. Wives, thank you for going along with us, even in our own stupidity. And you know what happens? Egypt is cursed because of Abraham's fear and disobedience. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Egypt didn't even know it. They were deceived and it was Abraham's fault. We know Abraham was a man of faith because he believed in the promises of God. That's the second thing he's known for is faith in God's promises. But look at the story again. 
God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a son. Well, he starts to get old. What does Abraham do? Uh, You know, God, uh, that's a great promise. You know what? I think I'll help you out. And since his wife is not conceiving a baby, he decides, hey, I'll sleep with her servant, right? And, And Sarah actually comes up with the idea. And instead of being the spiritual leader of the family, he says, that's a great idea, honey. Let's not trust God. Let's do it on our own. And we'll bring our maidservant in on the idea. So he has a son, Ishmael. This is not the son of promise. God says, Abraham, what are you doing? I promised. I'm the the God of your covenant. And so we go through this whole thing again. And he then is known for believing the promises of God. And it's credited to him as righteousness because in that moment, he then believes that God is going to be true to his promise. And it's true because then the third thing is we know that Abraham is a man of faith in God's provision. Because if you follow the story all the way to chapter 22, Isaac, the son of promise that is finally born to a very old Abraham and a very old Sarah, he's full grown. He's here and God says, Abraham, I need you to sacrifice Isaac to me. Hold on, you want me to be a great nation, but you want me to kill my only son? That's right, Abraham. And so up to the mountain they go. I can't imagine what that feeling was like because somehow Abraham's missing the big detail. God, you don't get it. If you kill, let me give you some advice, God. Right? Isn't that how our conversations go with God sometimes? God, let me give you some advice. If you want to fulfill your promise, killing my son is probably not a good idea. And yet Abraham steps out in faith and he believes in God's providence and provision that somehow through his obedience, God is, Hebrews says, in fact, maybe Abraham believed God so much that he believed Isaac would be raised from the dead. That's great faith. But he believed in the provision and uh, providence of God. As we close this morning, chapter 22 and verse 13 is such a great and glorious promise, not only to Abraham, but to all of us, because how great is God in this moment? It says that Abraham has the knife raised above his head, and he's about to plunge it into Isaac's heart, and God stops him. He says, you proved that my promise has not become your idol. You've proven to me that you've trusted the promiser and not the promise itself. How many of you know sometimes those things in life that God blesses us with becomes the very thing that keeps us from God because they somehow take the wrong place and God loses his rightful place. And in this moment of testing, Abraham proves and learns. And isn't that what tests come along? It, it's not that every test in life is from God, that somehow God is in every uh, problem in our life somehow trying to test us, but every problem seems to do that. It tests us. It tests our faith. It tests our resolve. It tests our ability to trust God and his promises and in his blessing. But in verse 13 of chapter 22, it says this, that Abraham looked up and there in a thicket saw a ram caught in by its horns. 
God provided the sacrifice that day and a, a great promise for all those who believe because one day God would send his very son, his only son, as a sacrifice, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And here in Genesis again, we see that Jesus is present and the foreshadowing of redemption is coming. Our greatest provision is in God's sacrifice, Jesus, and it means that we have relationship with God again. So where are you this morning? What's God telling you? In what ways do you need to step out in obedience and generosity and in faith and trusting God's protection, his provision, and his promise? What's he telling you this morning? Do you think he can talk to you? Do you think he is talking to you? Do you believe that you could step into his very blessings today? I believe that it's in those moments that we experience God at his greatest is those moments that scare us the most. I'm often reminded that he's, he's a mystery <laughs> and he's wild. And you can't predict what God might ask you to do. He may ask you to sacrifice the very thing that was promised to you. He may lead you to places that scare you to death. But do we trust God? Will we go? Will we obey? You know, in Hebrews, as it's talking about all these great heroes of faith, and it says, it was credited to them as faith, as righteousness, because they responded without having seen it. And Abraham, having been promised all these things, he, he didn't get to see the greatest of the promises. And yet they still believed. That's faith, is that we trust God no matter what. That we believe him, that his goodness extends beyond our own understanding, that his wildness takes us to places that are uncomfortable and that even in the end the blessings that we thought we should have or were promised that in the end the greatest promise is that life in him extends into eternity and the journey continues and I think the word of the Lord for some of you this morning is to stay the course don't give up don't let go but keep believing. Take that next step. Take another step in believing that God is true. I think of the life of Martin Luther King Jr., who in his greatest gift to us is, I have a dream speech. He, 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 he talks about equality and, and some of these great things of freedom, and yet, and, and that, I believe, was his calling, the promise, the blessing that he was sure, he was sure of. And yet we know tragically, he never got to see the blessing, the promise. But you and I enjoy the promise and blessing that he spoke of, that I'm sure him and God had conversations about. And so sometimes when you walk by faith, the blessing that is promised is not just for you and perhaps you never get to see it, but it's for those who are to follow. It's the legacy of a life of faith that Abraham left behind, a, 
legacy that Martin Luther King Jr. left behind. And perhaps you and I will leave that behind as well as we walk in faith. I'd love to bless you this week as you go. I believe there's power in our words as we pray blessings over our children and over, over our congregation. Father, I bless your people today as they leave this place. For those who feel far from you, to, uh, today and this week would be another step toward you in relinquishing control of their life to you that you might enter in and have relationship again with them. And Father, would you bless your people and their going and their coming and cause your light to shine upon them. Be at their right hand. Go before them. Be behind them. Lift them up and shadow them. Cover them with your wings. We love you. We're thankful for your promises of blessing. May we see how that is defined in so many different ways this week. It's in the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. We look forward to seeing you back here next week at C2.